Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 22 and then uh, put a marker in Mark 14. Okay, Matthew 22, Mark 14. Um, God began to speak to me just, uh, you know, well, really it started back in July. Talk to me about 2021 and that the work of the Spirit had a word that he was going to begin to do early in 2021. It came through a vision. If you want to hear the fullness of that message, go back to our first Wednesday and you'll hear about all that God showed me in a vision about 2021. But if there was one word to wrap around what God would do, it would be, he is going to renew us. He is going to bring us into renewal out of a landscape that has literally felt like it's been burnt to the ground. I am telling you by the spirit of the Lord, new life is breaking forth in this hour. There is a new work that God is doing. We sense it. We feel the momentum of what God is doing and it's happening among us. It's in accordance with Isaiah chapter 40. But those who wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. Listen, church, we are not getting weaker as the last days creep on. We are going to get stronger and stronger and brighter and brighter. And I'm telling you what, we're going to get a little louder and we're going to see the power of God. We're going to see the miracles of God. We are going to To see the kingdom expand. Now the world, probably going to get darker and darker. But that's why the grace of God, I believe, is coming upon the church to renew us in our strength in this hour. Now, so all month long, we're going to focus in on this idea of being renewed. And as I begin to think about the the genesis of this year and the very first things, the, the Spirit of the Lord just provoked me. He says, we need to go back to the basics. We need to go back to the foundational principles that Jesus taught and allow the Holy Spirit to come and renew us in these areas. And so today I want to speak to you a message, part one, called Renewed in Love. Renewed in Love. Uh, um, I want to read to you a statement that I wrote just a couple of days ago, which is why I believe there is a renewal that is happening in the body of Christ. I believe there is coming an unprecedented move of the Spirit of God. A new reformation and transformation is coming through the body of Christ that will lead to the salvation of the lost and the revival of the church. I believe there is an open invitation to participate with this end-time harvest of souls and the revival of his bride. To partner with the Lord, we must follow the leading of the Spirit of God. During this time of prayer and fasting, we will endeavor to know the nature of the Spirit of God that rested upon Jesus himself as we cry out, renew us, O God. I believe that right now as you are praying and fasting and asking God to to make things new, you are actually asking Jesus to do something he's already doing. Revelation 21 is an amazing glimpse of Jesus declaring that his, he is really good at renewing us. Revelation 21 says this, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write. 
for these words are true and faithful. He said, behold, I make all things new. Revelation 21 is actually when there's a, a, the new heavens, new earth, there's a new Jerusalem coming down. It is Jesus looking at the fallen landscape of humanity, at the condition of things uh, since sin entered the world, but it's Jesus stepping onto the stage and saying, I make all things new. Do you know that's what he's doing today? And that's what he'll do tomorrow until the day that 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 giant new Jerusalem comes down. He makes all things new. And he's good at it. He's good at it. That's why you need to get excited. If you've been born again. If you're really in relationship with God, you could understand what renewal is. Why? Because old things pass away, and behold, I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm not that one that was addicted and in bondage. I'm not that one. Nope. All things become new. That's what Jesus does. Jesus came to renew us, and our cry is, Jesus, by your spirit, renew us. Make us new. Now, what does that mean for us at Calvary? What does that mean for us as a local body who is longing to partner with what God is doing in the earth? The earth is a global work. It sounds huge. Uh, it sounds almost so big that we could, we could talk about it, but yet never enter into it. So we have to boil it down to something that we can actually do. What does it mean for us? Well, we wrote down a statement of a few years ago, many years ago now, um, that really governs the whole culture. We call it our mission here at Calvary, but really it's a culture statement. It's the mission of Calvary, but it's something that all of us can enter into, especially as Jesus is renewing us. And that statement is this, together, extravagantly love Jesus and selflessly love people. This is the culture of everything here. It is first together. We don't want just one doing it. There's just one person getting revival, one person seeing God move, one person praying, one person reaching, this or that. No, it's together. It's together. And it really falls into two phases. Extravagantly loving Jesus. And selflessly loving people. And today, we're going to talk about part one. Why is it part one? Well, it's part one because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. It says, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now listen, it is very important that you see that there is a number one and there is a number two. Don't flip them. Don't flip them. Things will be out of order in your walk with God if you flip the importance of these. Which is why part one is today... 
together extravagantly loving Jesus. Lord, we're asking you to renew us in love. Renew us in love. Now, for us here, when we search the scriptures and we not only do we see the great commandment, but is there a moment in scripture that describes extravagant love for Jesus? We believe there is for us. We believe that it, it actually describes the culture in which God will release a renewal and revival in this region. And it's found in Mark chapter 14. It is the story of Mary. And we're going to read this and we're going to begin to understand how the Holy Spirit wants to renew our love for God. The Holy Spirit wants to renew your love for God. And if we've, if we've somehow clinically made love out to just simply being obedience, we have actually uh, missed some elements that lead to obedience. I know the, that it is to love God is to obey his commands, but it is actually when you love God, you walk in obedience. It is not simply to say, okay, I'm going to do what you say, and that's love. How many of you know you, 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 you wouldn't call any relationship that you're in, if somebody just did what you told them to do, you wouldn't necessarily call that a loving relationship. So love needs to be the motivation for obedience. So... I want you to see something here. We're going to grab some of these things. And we're going to let the Holy Spirit do a work in us today. Because what our nation needs is a church that looks like Jesus. And we need the Spirit of God to come and do a work in us. They don't need a better version of you on your job. They need Jesus to show up on your job. They need Jesus in our schools. We need to show the world Jesus. And Jesus lived the first commandment perfectly. And there was one person, Mary, who captured this idea of extravagant love for Jesus perfectly. Mark 14, 3 through 9 says this, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head, but there were some who were indignant among them, saying, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do good to them. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. I want to give you some uh, some some brief points today about what it really means to be renewed in love for God. What it really means to step into extravagant love. 
Why in the world would we even call our mission of this house extravagantly love Jesus? Why would we say that this actually marks who we are? Here's why. Because I believe it needs to be the prevailing thing that people see when they walk in the door on a Sunday morning. That there is a people who really love Jesus. We don't just love religion. We don't just love gathering. We don't just love chicken after church on Sunday. We really, really love Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so what does it mean to enter into extravagant love? Well, we're going to we're just going to take a few ideas from this passage and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to do that same work in our hearts. First thing you need to see about extravagant love and being renewed in love is that extravagant love is public. Extravagant love is public. It says, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he came and sat at the table, this whole scene is a public dinner. Imagine the horror that someone would step over the norms and interrupt a perfectly good meal with a worship service. There is a time when your love must go public and you don't care who knows. I remember... uh, before my wife and I were married a couple of years ago, <laughs> we had met and, and uh, you know, we were hanging out a little bit and all my friends were coming to me and say, hey, what's going on with you and Stacy? And all her friends were coming, hey, what's going on with you and Otis? What's going on? And we were both saying the same thing, right? Oh, we're just chilling my 21, 22-year-old self. Oh, we're just chilling. They're like, yeah, we see what's going on. We see what's going on. And after, you know, days and weeks and months of her endless pursuit of me, (laughs) finally succumbed. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. not actually how that happened. Um, But there was a time where our love went public and we didn't care who knew about it. You know, and and maybe some of you young people, you know, you know, you you guys take your love public weirdo ways. (laughs) Like you start liking somebody and you're straight stalking their Instagram (laughs) and you're swiping up and you're looking at a picture from eight months ago and you accidentally liked it and they know you were straight stalking them now because why are they looking at pictures of me from a year ago and then somebody else saw that you liked it then they screenshot it and they shoot it out to their friends like something's going on y'all are weird y'all are just straight weird i know how this thing works But there's a time, though, when your love for somebody goes public, and you just don't care what anybody thinks. And here's Mary. All the disciples called. 
I mean, these guys have been casting out devils. They've been, they've been seeing the sick made well. And here she comes and she breaks up their event for a moment of love. I want to ask you a question today. Has your love for Jesus ever caused you to step over social norms? Has it ever caused you to make some other people go, hmm, that seems out of time. That doesn't seem appropriate for the moment that we have created. You see, there's a time when your love for Jesus has to go public. And her love in this moment was greater than the shame of breaking the norms. Have you ever felt that moment? You're on the edge. You feel the love of God drawing you into a moment of obedience, drawing you in to a moment of worship, drawing you in, and suddenly you become aware of the person that's next to you. And you're just like, oh, let me calm down a little bit. I pray the Holy Spirit decimates the spirit of shame that's been resting on the bride. The way he does it isn't by taking aim at shame. He takes aim at a heart that has not yet been filled with his love. And he pours in the love of God through the Holy Spirit. And then, then you never feel the full effects of what he mentions in Luke chapter 9 verse 25. It says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself to destroyed or lost for whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels let me just tell you uh, when jesus comes back i am not going to care about what any of you think i will say oh i have lived my life not being ashamed of you and listen extravagant love will cause you to step over those moments and think about eternity Say, I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to be ashamed in the way that I love him. Secondly, you need to see this today, that extravagant love is costly. It's costly. Verse 3, it says, A woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Now, what you need to understand is spikenard, that, that nard uh, actually was native to India. India is some distance from Israel. For all of you who don't know geography very well, it had to travel a long way to get there. It cost a lot of money. This one flask of oil, which was really only supposed to be used in, in very small amounts and only on very, very special occasions, was worth a year's wages. 300 denarii. A denarii is a, a day's wage. So it's worth a, a year's wages. It was costly. And notice what she did with it. She broke it. 
She didn't open it. And there is some historical uh, uh, truth to saying, hey, by the way, okay, in order, in order for it to be kept, it had to be sealed in a certain way. Uh, but I, I would say to you is that many people, when they opened it, they used it slowly. But when she used it, she used it extravagantly. And she broke it and it was costly. Can I ask a real question to all my brothers and sisters in the room? Do you give Jesus worship that costs you something? You see, one of the most radical worshipers in the Bible knew this principle of costly worship. His name is David. You would know him, many of you, as King David. And when uh, God tells him, uh, you know, to, to set aside uh, and, and gather a piece of land for, uh, for the tabernacle and for uh, later on the temple. He goes to um, Aruna and in 2 Samuel chapter 24, he says, hey, listen, listen, this is what the Lord says. This is going to be the place of his presence. We're going to build a permanent place for the presence of God. Now, here's what the owner of the threshing floor says. He says, king, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you the sacrifices. I'm going to give you everything. And here in 2020, that's when all of you would have done a little Holy Spirit dance. You've been like, hallelujah, hallelujah. Because you were going to get something, and then all of a sudden it cost you nothing. But notice what David said. He said, no. But I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. I want you to know something. Your worship of God ought to at times cost you something. Don't try to give God cheap worship. Business owners in here, listen to me. Don't be thinking about the next contract, the next job. Don't come in here and just sip your coffee and lift your hands and not sing and not enter in. And you're giving God cheap worship. I dare you to give God something that costs you something. Say, I don't care if it costs me my reputation. I'm going to give you something costly because that's what you deserve. That's what you deserve. This is extravagant love. But it's not just costly. Extravagant love is controversial. Oh, it's controversial. You see, in verse 4 and 5, it says, But there were some who were indignant, the disciples, the religious people among them, and said, Why was this fragrant? oil wasted for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor and they criticized her sharply there will always be a contrary voice to extravagant love of god because it challenges personal behavior 
If you begin to genuinely worship God, you step over the norms, and your worship becomes costly, somebody is going to speak up and make statements like this. Living for God doesn't take all that. Why are they being so extra? Calm down. How about this? Do something more productive with your time. Matter of fact, let me say it to you this way. In 2021, do not expect a pat on your back because you are a lover of Jesus. When you really live for Jesus and love Jesus and live for the kingdom, you're not going to get a pat on the back. More likely, a slap to the face. But I want to tell you that you can expect that extravagant love for God will be controversial. You can expect that God will respond to your controversial worship. And I love how David, this radical worshiper of God, responds to controversial voices. David was finally bringing the presence of God back into Jerusalem. And contrary to what so many people have said, David, when he danced before the Ark of the Covenant, he was not naked. He was actually wearing a a priestly undergarment called an ephod, okay? So he was now not operating as a king, but a priest. And you need to hear this today. He was operating as a priest. And priest, minister to the Lord first, then they minister to people. Priests minister to the Lord first. And what was happening is the desire that was in his heart to worship God was finally coming to bear in Israel. And he was dancing before the Lord. And his wife, Michael, saw him and saw him dancing there in an ephod, not wearing his kingly garment. And when she saw it and she finally had her opportunity, she came as that voice saying, you think you've been elevated in the eyes of people and you're not. You should be ashamed of yourself is really what she said. And I love how David responds. He says this, oh, you think that was wild? You think that was wild? He said, oh, I will become even more undignified than this. He says, what you have seen isn't anything compared to what I've got in mind. You see, David was going to get the presence of God up on that threshing floor. And it was going to be there. He was going to put some tents around it. And he says, night and day, day and night, 24 hours a day for like three decades, we're going to worship, we're going to dance, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray. And that's what happened 24 hours a day for three decades. And the only veil between the presence of God and the people of God was was the priests of God. And they worshiped and they worshiped and they worshiped. I just have this question for you. Has your worship ever been controversial? Come on, let me ask you. you. Have you ever danced before the Lord? 
I know what you're saying. Some of the men in here, oh, I don't dance. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> but I kind of got a holy hop. <laughs> I got something. And what I want to say to you is this. There will always be a voice that's contrary to you expressing your love for God in a biblical way. Don't ever let that voice stop you. Respond like David said. Oh, I'm going to become even more undignified. I'm going to dance. I'm going to shout. I'm going to lift my hands. If God says run, I'm going to run. If God says kneel, I'm going to kneel. I am going to worship God in a way that is befitting the one I am worshiping. So let, the, let those people sit and look down from their ivory towers if they want. Here's what happens to those people. Listen, if you're one of them, I promise you the same thing that happened to Michael will happen to you. You will be barren. You'll be barren. You, you'll think that you have life, but you won't have the kind of life that God wants for you. Michael was barren all of her days because... She said, your worship, David, is too controversial for me. I want to encourage you. Take on those contrary verses and say, I'm going to love Jesus this year in such a controversial way, in whatever way is biblical. By the way, the Bible is, is controversial. Take every posture in the scriptures in your worship. It will be controversial even with religious people. Let me give you another way of extravagantly loving God. Extravagant love and this renewed love for God is actually within reach. It's within reach. I want you to see this. Verse 6 through 8 says, Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do good to them. But me, you do not have always. Listen to these words. She has done what she could. Did you hear those words? She has done what she could. God isn't asking us for something we can't give, only what we can. And it is within reach. What is it that the Lord is asking you to worship him with this year? What is it that, the, and probably he's been talking to you about it for months. He's probably been saying, would you give me this? Would you love me with this? Would you make this choice in your life? Would you cut this out? Would you lay this down? He would say, would you love me in this way? And he's not asking you to do something you could never do. He's only asking you to do with what is in reach. I love what happened in Mark chapter 12. When Jesus was sitting in the temple and he was looking at the treasury. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, it's 41, it says, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how many people put money into the treasury, and many of them were rich and put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself. He said, Hey guys, come here. 
Come here. Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. What set them apart? It was that this woman said, God, you can have everything that I have within reach. And those who quite honestly, many of these wanted to be seen in their given. Jesus has already addressed that in the Sermon on the Mount. You know that was in the heart of the Pharisees. So when they came to the treasury and dropped it, they weren't looking to God. They were looking at other people seeing their giving. This one who felt like she had nothing gave more than the rest. I want to ask you, what's within reach right now? What's within reach? If the Holy Spirit begins to renew a love for God in your heart and begins to take you to a new level, what is within reach that you can give to him? It is that which we need to offer. Why? Because of this last point. Extravagant love is a blessing to God. Extravagant love is a blessing to God. I want you to see this, and quite possibly you've never seen this before. The last part of verse 8 says this. this is what, these are the words of Jesus. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. This is just days before the cross. She breaks in. She breaks the norm. She, is, she, she doesn't care about the contrary voices. She grabs what's within reach and she breaks it over the head of Jesus. In John chapter 12, we find out that the fragrance actually filled the whole house. So this oil, which was meant to be used sparingly, now has been poured on Jesus. And I want to walk you through these days. He's betrayed. Taken before Pilate. Pilate says, beat him. 39 lashes. And there they expose his back and his hair drips low as he is stretched over. And with every strike, Go to Calvary. And if you know anything about the anatomy of crucifixion, here's what you need to know. They would stretch the arms high and leave a small bend in the legs and put the nail through the feet. And in order for Jesus not to suffocate those six hours, he had to push up on the nail and breathe in. 
of her worship carried Jesus through the moment when the whole world, minus his mother and John, has abandoned him. And for six hours, he breathes in and the aroma of that worship comes again. That's why I believe Hebrews chapter 12 says this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. You see, as he breathed in, he remembered that the reason he was giving his life was for love. Extravagant love. He remembered that all the world was going to be redeemed. Who would believe? And over and over, the fragrance of that worship carried him through that moment until he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then released a loud cry and breathed his last. I wonder. Is there something in your worship today that blesses Jesus the way Mary's worship blessed him then? Is there something in the way you love God that says, makes Jesus say from eternity, it was all. It was so worth it. It's in these moments where quite possibly you could get to the place where you say, uh, I don't know if I love God that way. I don't know if I love Jesus that way. But I want to. I got good news for everybody in the house. We don't love him because we made up our mind. We don't love him because we just happened to walk into a church where God was moving and Jesus was being exalted. Here's what 1 John 4 says We love him because he first loved us. God demonstrated his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, if you want to be renewed in love, all you simply have to do is receive the love which he loves you with, then you can begin to love him back in like manner. But I believe there's a work of the Holy Spirit that is taking the church in back down to basics and says, God, I want to love you with my whole heart, my whole mind, all my strength. I want to love you, God, the way that you love to be deserved. And I want to stop caring what other people think. I want to confront the contrary voices. And I want my worship and my love for you 
to bless you today. This is why we've been crying out, renew us. God is taking the church to the place of love so that he can launch us into the kingdom. So that he can use us in a greater measure.